What's up, everyone? Uh, this is Tom Hammond, and welcome to another episode of the Mastery Retention Podcast. Of course, we have the legendary Neil Edwards with us, uh, your co-host. This is my, that's my favorite part of my week, being referred to as a legend. It's actually the primary reason I do the podcast. So thank you, Tom, for that. Thank you for that ego boost. It's a pretty, pretty key thing. It, it takes a lot to get into legendary with me, but like once you're there, it's like, we don't really have like decaying, uh, shoot, what's the term? Uh, the ranking. What is it? Called, oh, okay. So, so like, so life with you is not a free to play economy. So I don't have to like, I don't have to keep. I don't have to keep re-earning my diamond medallion status. Yeah, man, I don't, I don't have the stuff. Like, it's there, it's pretty, pretty hard. Um, maybe I should like implement like a, a pay-to-play kind of, you know, thing to <laughs> Oh, damn! Knowing what you do and how good you are at it, that is equal parts delightful and terrifying to think about. <laughs> oh, that's too good. But yes, I'm excited to be here and to get a bunch into the wonderful and excellent and best in class Royal Match. Yeah. In case you are not watching and do not see the game that is up on our screen already, we have Royal Match. So, um, you know, this do is a fun one. Do we need to tell people what Royal Match is? Or, I mean, I feel like anyone that lives not under a rock knows what Royal Match is, but maybe. Well, hopefully they've heard of Candy Cry. There we go. A match three game um and and maybe we can talk about the stories of, of match three so uh candy crush was actually just like a mobile first version of bejeweled yeah um like it gave people a little bit more than just like mindlessly playing these match three things over and over again it gave them like a progression of like oh i'm actually doing something and What's interesting, like when I think about new game innovation, we're going to go off a little tangent here. Um, yeah, love tangents. Yeah. Five minutes in, we're on tangent one, baby. <laughs> so, you know, when I think of like new game innovation, um, a lot of people don't really do this. There was a, uh, a book, I can't remember the name of the book, but maybe it'll come to me. But anyway, uh, the book was by the ex-CEO of P&G, Procter & Gamble. So they make like tons of, household products and the consultant that he brought in to work directly with him to uh, basically redo the way that they do innovation at Procter and Gamble. Um, at that point in time, they'd been trying to like launch a bunch of drugs and they were like going all the way to like the final step and then failing there and, you know, mm. having hundreds of millions of dollars and all these other products that they were doing, like they were getting super far and for whatever reason, they'd like fail in the final hour. And so they decided to kind of refactor in and think about the way that they're doing innovation. They started studying a bunch of other companies. They shared these stories they studied. One of the ones that really stuck out to me, though, was uh, golfing. Um, I forget the name of the company that made this golf club, but it's called the Big Bertha. Um, and this is like in the early 90s. They took a look and they said, so let's look at people that play golf. And, you know, it's primarily men. And it's primarily men that are like over 50, 25 to 50, 65. I don't know what it is. It's okay. something like, but if you look at the entire population of men, it's mostly U.S. based, but it's like maybe less than 10% of the population. So historically, what most golf, you know, club creators and stuff would do is they look at the 10% and like figure out what do they want and they try to like make it for them. 
Well, this new company came in. They said, you know, how can we get more men to come in and play golf? Mm. So they went and they talked to the 90%. Like, you know, man, you, you got a nice job. You got a nice, like, by all accounts, you should be at the country club, like, all the time. It's within that club. Like, why aren't you playing golf? And the response that they got, maybe expected or not, was, well, I suck. And I don't want to look like an idiot in front of my friends. Yep. And, uh, and so, you know, they, they went back to the drawing board and they said, well, what can we do to help people suck less or like feel like they're better, you know, playing golf? Yeah. And so they came up with a big birthday and they basically made a club that was much bigger. So it was much easier to hit the ball. Can't, and miss, can't miss it when the club's eight inches, the head of the club's eight inches wide. Exactly. Right. And so, you know, they released this thing and they actually brought quite a bit of these like guys in that hadn't played golf before to come in and play golf. But the real kicker is that they sold a ton of these golf clubs to existing golfers. Uh-huh. They also kind of sucked, but they just thought that that was like a them problem. Like they didn't think that it was even solvable. So they didn't even know it was like, a problem. They were like focused on all these other nitty gritty details. And they didn't realize that there could be. Keep that story in mind, and we'll go back to like this match three story. So, after um, Candy Crush, you know, is this massive hit, I would say maybe the next iteration was Homescapes and Gardenscapes. And there's kind of all these women that were, you know, even if you talk to like my wife or whatever, she's like, why would I play this like match? Like, it's just like this endless level. So, like, there's no substance to it. Like, why would I keep doing that? Um, and so match uh, homescapes or gardenscapes, I forget which one came first. But anyways, they're like, well, we're going to give you a reason. You want to play these levels so that you can, you know, redo your mansion or your garden or what. You actually have like a purpose for playing through these. Um, and then, you know, kind of that same thing came along. A lot of people were like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, why do I get a mansion? Like, where does this come from? And then you have Lily's garden come along which like adds some narrative aspects to it and stuff. Now, that wasn't quite as much of a step there or whatnot. But all this stuff kind of happens. And meanwhile, we have Dream Games form, and they want to, you know, make a new game. Um, now, the interesting way that Dream Games kind of approach things, as far as I can tell, I, I don't know. But I speculate that they said, well, what makes match three players like have fun in here and it's this feeling of being clever and smart and setting up that like big move because you craftily figured out which things to do or you could blow it all up and like beat the level or whatnot um and they found a way to do that with very smart interesting level design that you know sets up these moves right like right when you get out of you know moves and things like that and we'll get into all those details and stuff but it was almost like the next evolution uh to the match three game like when you think about innovation and stuff so yeah and i and i think one of the other things that just is like a slight piggyback off what you were saying was like when you see how some of gardenscapes has evolved and like lily's garden there's like there's this widening of the funnel by, yes, giving more purpose, giving a metaphor to my play, oh, I'm beautifying this place. And then you start to work in the story. And I think one of the things that you see uh, or Royal Match, they don't do a lot of it. Uh, they obviously have the beautifying and all this stuff. 
but there's um there's a sense of role play right in some of those moments where you're kind of playing a role in the world and maybe it's a noble role or you know positive in, in some way and you see that and that's where i think actually the uh you and i were talking about this just the other day the save the king levels right they get a bunch of people in off those little ads that focus on what is ultimately a minor part of the game but people like and buy into this fantasy of like oh my my play has a purpose. I have a role. I'm saving the king. And again, it's a minor part of the game mechanically, but I think funnel-wise for them, it's very effective. And I do see that you do see a linear uh, or kind of non-linear thread that you can pull through some of those other successful evolutions through the genre, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. So let's talk about Warhammer um, and match three in general. Um, so. We'll do a little breakdown high level, like how does monetization work in this game? So most match three games drive the core of their monetization off this plus five moves level. So if you can see my screen right now, I have lost a level and I'm pretty sure that I only need like one move left to win. Actually, it might be worse than that, but um, I can. I see, I see a lot of boxes left there, Tom. I, I think I didn't quite get as far as or they, you know, me up. Um, but anyway, uh, oh, I've got a lot of questions going on. That's fine. Um, so when you lose a level, you have the opportunity to spend like a dollar to to get a few more moves so you have a chance to beat that level. Now, not that many players will, you know, spend that dollar, but enough of them do. Um, and that's kind of the core loop. So I play the level, I, you know, have a chance to lose maybe i spend there then i'm able to beat the level maybe i spend to get the plus five moves and then i lose the level still again i have to spend even more to like get another plus five moves um so you can go through and do that um what's interesting with royal match compared to other games that i've played is that it seems like more often than not i will lose a level where I have finally set up that big move. So I've set up like two boosters next to each other. I feel super creative. And it's like, well, all I have to do is spend just a little bit of money to get that feeling of blowing up like the entire level, like having all that fun. But then Royal Max does all this like layering on of stuff. So I don't know if you can see my screen, but like, Neil, what's your take on? So they say you will lose your butler's gift and fail the lava quest, which I'm currently at on level two out of seven, if I don't do this plus five moves. So like from a, a UX design, like what's your take on this? Stuff? Yeah, so I find this really fascinating because for a couple of reasons. One, uh, obviously, if you can't see it, one of the things they do uh, is they play on emotions a little bit here, right? Which people may have different feelings about, right? But you have this butler, right? You have this butler that's that's looking sad or concerned or things like that. And and people that don't buy into that may not find it effective, but the cold hard truth is like a lot of games do have effects with this, right? So uh, like throw it all the way back to like Panda Pop, right? The mama panda is sad and crying that you haven't saved all our babies at the end, right? So there's, there's a bit of a tugging on the heartstrings and, and your kind of role in the world. But then kind of what, what Tom is speaking to specifically is this is a really brilliant, especially from a product and a monetization perspective, a brilliant framing because it's, it's saying you're going to lose these things. Um, and so they do a lot of raising the stakes where there's this butler's gift mechanic where every time you win again sequentially, you get more power-ups to start the level. So it's it's a streak mechanic, basically. So if you break the streak, 
you're going to lose. And they remind you of that. Uh, and it kind of pushes you a little bit more to go, oh man, the stakes are higher. I don't want to lose that. And my next levels are going to be harder. Um, but really, I think some of the brilliance here is uh, the event stuff, right? So uh, I don't know as much about Lava Quest, but to use another kind of stakes thing they do is there's an event where um, if you're matching, uh, it, it'll say, oh, you need to match collect 200 books, right? And, and book is a piece that you match in the, in, the, in the level, right? Collect 200 books and you get another reward, right? And so it will say, you're going to lose your 256 books that you've collected. But the weird thing is, this is kind of a psychology play because you don't actually really have those books. Like you haven't, you haven't actually earned them. Like it's not, it's not truly taking away genuine bank progress from you, but they're like, this is all the stuff you will get if you finish it. But the language they use and the presentation they, 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 they use really kind of plays into this loss aversion where it's like, hey, you're going to lose these things. And it really can kind of pile up. And you're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to lose all this. And one, one other thing I'll say is they really double down on this even more because uh, they will sometimes give you uh, event rewards that double all your event rewards for a limited time. So now you're like, I'm losing 2x the books and this is a limited time opportunity until this reward goes away in 15 minutes. Um, or another one they do um, to put the squeeze on you a little bit is uh, the hard levels and super hard levels will have event reward modifiers. So then it's like, I'm on a super hard level. I'm going to lose like 5x these books and 5x these, you know, uh, ship wheels to go towards this other event so they do so much layering of events that the stakes of any given level kind of feel fairly high because you're like i'm gonna lose this i'm gonna lose that, i'm gonna lose this and they could they could not present it that way if they wanted to they could they, they could not show any of this because from a systemic and a mathematical kind of functional perspective you, you don't actually have these things but they kind of present it in the way to kind of encourage people you know to know hey you could get remote more rewards if, if you to keep playing yeah i feel like some of their like their key innovation actually lives on this screen so we don't have it here right now at the bottom of it it's kind of showing a world which is actually pretty genius and we'll talk about that in a second too but um at the bottom they will sometimes if you're in a uh, social competitive event like maybe like new rush or uh, the space journey one um, like it shows you like where the other five people are in terms of like levels and stuff and it's like well if you abandon here you're gonna fall behind steve and steve's gonna beat you like do you want to you know let that happen or whatnot um, those are actually the ones that get me to convert because i get very competitive sometimes um so yeah the, the way that they orient that stuff and none of that's like that stuff is there but it doesn't really matter it's just like this visual ux thing that just drives people to want to spend like i, I think this is the core of you know, monetization lives on this screen to them right now. Um, yeah. One interesting. I, I just one, one last quick thing. I think the principle, like when I think about that as a developer, I think of out of sight, out of mind, right? Like it would be easy as a developer to go like, well, yeah, like players know they're going to lose that stuff, but players don't think about it. And like you said, it's not this big monumental thing, but by making it primary in the UI, it feels that much more important and players remember it and they're aware of it. Yeah. So here's the other thing, interesting thing that this is kind of a little bit more of a recent uh, addition, uh, but Royal Paths. So here I actually have two options to compare. So I can do my traditional plus five moves to play on, um, or I can get 
five plus five moves for free if I activate the Royal Pass. And by the way, if I activate the Royal Pass, I get all this other stuff that I wouldn't get. If oh, I and you get eight, you get an eight live cap instead of five. Lives instead of five. Um, you know, I get the gold profile thing. And I get those plus five. And this one only costs $10, or I could, you know, do the plus five moves for the like $2 for the con there, whatever it is. That's a really so, smart, really smart, well-timed upsell, right? Because the value trade-off there for the player is so high because if I'm already going to spend a dollar or two just for like one of these and be syncing these over and over again, like it's just, yeah, that's, that's really well. It's a great value opportunity and the way it's presented and the timing is really strong. Yeah. The other interesting thing that I saw on here is if I choose to opt out of this, like the psychological driver of failing lava quests and stuff isn't going to get me, and I keep failing this level, you know, multiple times, eventually they will start to ratchet up the plus five moves to be like plus 15 moves, plus 10 moves, like oh, okay. plus 35 moves. We're just like hurting on here or whatnot. Um, <laughs> I've never gotten that high, but I haven't failed level that many times. Um, Tom's, Tom's too good at Royal Match for that. <laughs> exactly. You, you need a little bit more help. Um, cool. So we've talked about raising the stakes with Butler's gift. Um, I'm going to go ahead and reject that. I'm going to fail Lava Quest. Womp womp. Plunge. Better luck next time. I get to watch my profile fall into the lava while other players... <laughs> Man, they really put the screws into you. Then, then you know, then I get to watch my butler's gifts go away, so I don't get that anymore. Um, so, uh, events with opportunity costs. You know, there's definitely stuff that's in there. I had to opt to fail for lava quests, and had I got all the way there, there was like ten thousand gold that whoever got there gets to split that. So it probably would have been like a thousand or two thousand gold that we got. Um. Yeah, I think I think where that layers in a little bit as well is right, like lightning rush for you. One, it's it's opt-in, right? It's and I think they do a great job of like having pretty significantly different flavors of events, right? And events where you can opt in and say, I'm gonna optimize my experience. I just got home from work. I'm gonna activate lightning rush. So lightning rush for people that don't know. Um, it's a pretty basic event structure. I think it's competitive event. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, where you're competing with other people. But basically, you have an hour. You get unlimited lives. So you can, you know, it doesn't mean you get more moves over and over again, but it means you can fail any number of times, not get booted out of the game. Uh, and it's kind of this burst engagement thing for an hour uh, that players can customize, right? But it also has this extra layer of, like, like we said, of opportunity costs, where if I have that hour of unlimited lives, you know, do I, do I want to, that, that allows me to kind of like power through and rack up more event rewards for other events that are also active. And so I think that is also a psychological thing that, oh man, I, I don't want to waste this time. Do I want to pay through to kind of get through this level so I can keep steamrolling kind of, you know, with, with, with my lightning rush a bit. Um, and so the events kind of, you know, and multiplying each other's rewards, they really just layer in a beautiful way where you're getting so much progress so often um and not only does that feel good it's you know kind of tugs on you when you're you feel like you're going to risk losing some of that encourages you to play you know you you went through all this like i i've got book of trader up here right now i, yeah. I played through it a little bit my next 
is 400 gold. But if I get to the level after that, then I get a free 30 minute free TNT bomb booster for every level that I do. If I go to level 12, then I get the two extra wards that, you know, Neil was just talking about. And then I get an hour of, you know, free rockets and stuff. And so like these can layer on and then, you know, now you've got unlimited lives, unlimited boosters, everything kind of stacks on itself. And it's like, well, I might as well keep playing a little bit more because I don't want to just waste this stuff that I have. Right. Um, and so, you know, you play more and what's great is you have more opportunities to hit that plus five moves, you know, <laughs> core loop for the monetization there and maybe spend more. Um, yeah, it's, it's almost like the rewards are kind of like a, like a, almost like a flywheel in a way, in terms of like their rewards are just like more reasons to play, more reasons to play, more reasons to play, more reasons to play, which are kind of more things to lose, more reasons to spend. Like, and it just, it, it's like, it almost like puts fast forward on the, the core loop over and over and over again, because they're just like, it keeps giving you power ups, right? It keeps giving you reasons to keep playing and oh reasons you you know, and, and specifically what I think they've done that's brilliant is those time box rewards. So it's, it's not that you get two TNTs or three TNTs. It's that you get an infinite number of TNTs, as many as you can use in the next 30 minutes. Um, in that, that right there, that's opportunity cost. Or it's like, ah, oh, well, I got this, I got this free thing. I don't want to quit because I'm wasting it, right? If I quit, I'm wasting this time limited reward. And it's basically an endless stream of time limited rewards. That, that keep you, you know, wanting to play. Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing, now, when I, yeah, obviously user-wise build live ops tools and stuff like that, but like the game that I tell people to reference for the perfect live ops calendar is Royal Mac because they don't think in terms of like, oh, we're going to have like one event this week or one event this month and we'll have like a few around that or whatnot. They're like, okay, we're going to have 10 events that are going on today and we're going to align them together such that once I complete this book of treasures, I'm going to see that I'm 80% of the way towards completing lava quests. And then I'm, you know, 80% of the way towards doing this other thing. And it just like tears me in that, you know, keep playing that core loop. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's a brilliance that, you know, obviously, you know, tools like user wise and, and things like that, um, you know, expert devs, like really excel at and i think even at a humble level even just as a developer like one of the things i would say is like you know maybe if you're not as expert in the, in the free-to-play space or you know maybe you don't have these kind of like world-renowned 25-year veteran you know free-to-play you know pm types is like it's just really helpful to do that like you know take a mural board or take something simple and line out these events just kind of in an abstract way and look at that balance and look at like when are players completing things? How close is that? And even, even just a conceptual way, like take all the complex calendar days out of it and just conceptualize it in a concrete way so you can start to think about how do you shuttle from people being like, oh, just so close to this thing to close to the next thing. Um, and also from a UX perspective, kind of one of the things that Tom was pointing out a little bit is I think about it as like event reward, like time horizons, right? And progress time horizons. So. They do a really good job where Book of Treasure, for example, is every match you make is progress. You don't get to collect the progress till the end of the level, but that's like the most micro thing you could do. Like every time I match a book, I'm getting progress. So that's, that's an event with like a, a microscopic like progress meter. 
And then they have events where like, okay, if you win a single level, that puts you up some leaderboard or racetrack, or that puts you up a, a very kind of small metered track where every couple wins you get something, right? So that's kind of, you know, a single match, you know, level completion slash win. Then you have events that are like, you know, more flexible time horizon. So it's kind of this race of get the most wins in this time period. Then you have longer ones that like are, are counting wins, but it's counting wins on a longer scale. Like you need seven more wins and 30 more wins and all this stuff. So it's like thinking about kind of constantly having your player have a micro goal, a midterm goal, a long-term goal, and the progress and the rewards dropping sequences like that. That's how you keep people fed, how you, how you keep people engaged on this loop. Um, and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty best in class in, in, in this product specifically. Yeah. Love it. Um, okay. I want to jump around here a little bit. Um, so one of the things that a lot of other games have copied this concept and I forget who the first one to introduce it was, but, um, this is jungle treasure, uh, a few days ago, they had a Halloween version of it. I might have a screenshot somewhere, but basically they, it's a special offer. Like at the end of the day, a special offer has a price and then there's bundled content within there. Yeah. Um, now what they've done, and this is purely from a UX perspective. So we have it up right here called jungle treasure. And uh, at first, there were like five free things for me to collect. And then I had to pay $3. And then there's five other free things on there for me to like keep going. So like all of these things could be looped into there. So like my, my little bundle, I have the bomb, I have 3,000 gold, and I have one hammer for $2.99. But players aren't, you know, dumb. They can see, oh, there's also 200, you know, gold and there's a bow. And there's two of each of those boosters, and there's a cannon, and there's a jester's cap. Now, visually, I could just write this as an offer where all those things are lumped together for one for three dollars. And, and that is the most traditional way we see it oftentimes in free to play. You see this big offer card, it's two ninety nine, you get the shit, and then boom, do 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 free stuff. And it's it's one transaction, it's one interaction, and that's the normal way of presenting it, right? Yeah. But here, like I, as a player, I'm like, well, okay, I get a $3 offer and it's got some stuff that like, yeah, I'm sure that's valuable. And actually what's the, uh, yeah. So a thousand gold is normally $2. So I'm actually getting my gold for basically 50% off for the $3. So that's a pretty good deal outright. Um, but then I get to have the fun of collecting all those free things, which I don't really view as part of the offer. I just view that as like free stuff that I get to get. And then there's yep. like another offer after this. You know, we can actually go through and do it. We'll just buy it. Um. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think this is an incredibly, um, I think this is an incredibly clever, like it's, it's easy to look at this and go, oh yeah, it's simple. Like, but a lot of people don't do this. Um, your credit card was denied, Tom. Um, I, I decided I had to like ask for it on this one. I was like, I'm not going to put that on there. <laughs> um, but, but from a UI perspective and kind of a resulting UX perspective, I think the principle you can draw from this pretty clearly is when you separate out objects and you separate out interactions, right? These are five distinct cards or little containers that each have their own items within them and so technically spend three bucks you get all the things we could reward the player and you deluge of stuff all at once but there's something in the psychology of buying the 299 and 
clicking the first free thing, get it. Click the second free thing, click the third three thing, get it. And, and creating creating basically six independent interactions of, of getting rewards poured at me off of a single purchase. It just psychologically, you know, it's completely irrational, but you feel like you're getting more and you get more celebration and more fanfare, right? And so much of what we talk about when we talk about UX around monetization, obviously you want what people are buying to, to be valuable, but it's that spending money in my game should feel really friggin' good. Um, and that's yeah. an example where we just kind of artificially separate stuff out and it feels good to people that feel like they're getting more. Um, and also combined with, it's just a straight good value, right? Like people, are, they are offering their players a good value uh, and, and, then, and then amplifying that experience with the UI execution. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, let's talk about some of these, uh, I would say like the introducing new mechanics. Because um, I, I thought that this, their approach to like teaching player stuff and like giving them a reason to like get to the next level, get to the like the free reward. Like what's your take on all that stuff from like a, a UX design perspective? Because I, I feel like they don't do that much like teaching of new mechanics. They just kind of let the players experience it, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, all their stuff is really intuitive and I think their level design helps it. Right. So they, whenever you get a new mechanic, they don't really, I mean, maybe they explain it a little bit, but one, their mechanics are so fundamentally simple. I think the visualizations they use are really intuitive. So the art that they choose kind of naturally lends itself to an intuition of how this thing works, but they always kind of set you up with this kind of first stage where it's kind of like you get some powers or you, you basically, it's kind of like Mario level design. Like no matter what, it doesn't like point a yellow arrow at you and insult your intelligence. It's like the most obvious slash only kind of reasonable thing you can do is to interact with this new mechanic, right? So you combine the, the lightning ball with the bomb because it looks exciting. And then all of a sudden you see that lightning balls duplicate bombs everywhere. And you're like, holy shit, I just learned how to do this thing, right? Usually starts with, usually starts with like a really powerful moment. Um, you know, I want to hear you kind of, because I feel like you have a really good kind of take on this bomb, hear you talk about it some, but they, they basically start you out with that simple, like, boom, here it is, smash the dishes, uh, kind of the obvious thing to do. It usually makes you feel powerful. Um, usually it's pretty easy. And then Tom, I feel like, you know, you know, I love it when you kind of, you talk about how they do that ramp well, you know, where you kind of hit your face on it at some point, then you get the release and like, kind of, you know, I, I think they introduce it in a really intuitive way and put you on rails without you feeling like you're on rails. Um, and then, you know, the balance and the progression from there, um, I think is really clever. So the interesting thing, so in case you're wondering why I'm only at level 131 uh, on this one is um, I got a new phone and I wanted to play through Royal Match again in preparation for this to see like what's changed since I, you know, played previously. Um, and really, a lot of it is just live ops. Like when I played through four, they didn't really have all these events that are running simultaneously. They didn't really have like Butler's Gift and all these random things. It was still fun levels and stuff like that. But they just like the way that they introduced things is started. They'd like do the King's Cup first, and then they'd like introduce you to have joining a club, and then they'd like have you you know, start doing a team treasure and they teach you about that. And they slowly like ramp up, like adding these additional events and teaching you about them and kind of slowly stacking them up together. And um, it's really beautiful. 
But yeah, in terms of like level design and teaching, like one of the levels, I even posted this about LinkedIn, um, but wasn't there, as far as I remember the last time I played through, it was like, hey, we're going to teach you what happens when you have two of those, you know, sparkly balls, whatever they're called, yeah, blow up. So get into the new level. The only two like pieces that I can move are two balls right next to each other with everything kind of queued up. And it's like, oh, well, what happens here? I'm not going to tell you. You just have to figure it out by like doing those balls together. And then it explodes the entire map. And it's like, oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> That's good to know. I want to do that in the future because that felt really, really good. Um, <laughs> and I, I love how they introduced the mechanics of like, oh, we're going to give you this experience. Well, what's the magic one? If like this thing works, it works. Like, what's it like to be able to clear these boxes easy? What's it like to be able to do this thing? And so they give you like an easy level to kind of beat. Then they give you like a couple practice levels of like, okay, let's make sure you understand that mechanic. Then boom, as you said, we're going to slap you in the face with a super hard level to be like, okay, well, this is the real deal. Like now when you put this together with other things, this is why it's hard. This is the challenge. Like, can you beat it? You know, you know what's up. Probably going to have to spend on this, you know, get ready for that. And then after that, you beat the big level. Now we're going to give you this, you know, reward level. You collect a lot of coins. Like you did amazing. Great job. Oh, by the way, after you do this, there's going to be another new mechanic for you. And so they kind of like almost take you through this progression of like learning new mechanics, how they kind of work together. and and first, when I was playing through in my first playthrough, I thought that was a little bit like cheesy and weird and, and lame. And then I, you know, played through level 20 and level 30 and it got really nice because it was like a little predictable. I knew that there was something exciting to look forward to. Yeah. So you, you hit the word, I mean, I'll keep it brief here because I think you, I think you kind of nailed summing it up. You hit the word that, that's been ringing in my head specifically and it's predictable, right? And obviously we have, you know, there's lots of, Big psychology around unpredictable rewards and things like that. But sometimes when it comes to like content cadence and things like that and building confidence in your players, I think this predictability is important because it's easy to jump into one of these games. And if you have an inconsistent content cadence, like I start off and I get a new mechanic every 10 levels and then I get one every 20 levels and then 10 and then 15 and 40. And then, you know, and it's all this kind of erratic, like, people start to kind of lose a sense of that anticipation of that next thing. Like you're saying, like some of these levels are brutally difficult, right? And obviously it's an engaging game, but some of what keeps me coming back is knowing that novelty is coming, right? And kind of knowing when it's coming. It's like that old adage, right? Like, um, you know, the, the journey you have to wait for that you don't know its duration, you know, feels impossible, right? It's like if you have to wait a week for something, that's totally different and doable if you're like, you have to wait an indeterminate period of time. So there's a psychology of people knowing the cadence and knowing that like, I just got to get, just got to get through this tough part. Just go a little farther and I'll get something new and cool. And then I'll get a reward level. Um, also those birds on screen are super cute. Um, uh, we gotta, in, in, what's that? Yeah, save one. It's indescribably cute. Um, well, yeah, it's it's that 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 predictability. I think when used correctly in situations like this, content cadence um, can be really valuable because I think you can see people churn if they start to wonder, "Oh, have I?" Because because this, this occurs to knowledge, right? We know there's more content players content coming, but do players do right? Do content do do they hit 25 levels and then they're like, "Oh, did the, did the developers run out of mechanics?" And it could be the 26th level. 
But if you don't have that consistency, players, you know, can bail out, um, you know, not knowing that something new and exciting is coming for them. Yeah. Michelle sure and loses Lola again. That's why be a super hard one. Um, yeah. So I think one final thing we want to cover in this kind of first uh, part one version, we'll go back to part two, is uh, just talking about like the very unique event types and how they got super creative with like good user experience. Like, um, here, let me just like purposely lose this. And I'll get back out there. So I think they've come up with some very creative and clever event types that have, you know, it's hard to deliberately fail. Um, fail. So like some of them are like super interesting, like hidden temple. Um, it, every level that you beat, again, I'm trying to get you to play more levels and beat more levels, hit that plus five moves. Every level you beat, you get a little pickaxe and you get to like hit the X's and, you know, you get to uncover the gems that open this up. And each of the different chests, you know, get bigger and get better. Um, and so there's more gems that you have to uncover. So there's more levels that you have to play. So like the, you know, end to end beat this, you have to do what, you know, 150 levels or, or whatever that takes. Um, they have another one that's like uh, mixing elixirs. So each level that you get, you get to like put an elixir. And what you do is you, you know, set the three that are up there and they just see like, does it go in or not? And it'll splat the ones that aren't there and it'll like keep the ones that were right. And so like with those it's three, like Wordle. It's, it's, yeah, it's like Wordle almost in that way. It really is. Um, and so like, if you get that color wrong, like you got to go back and play more levels. So you get more like entries and stuff into there. But, uh, you know, each tier that you like get through, they add like another one. So by the time you're at like nine attempts, like the chances that you get all of those correct right away are like very low. So then you have more levels, more levels, to, like get through there. Um, that's mad clever i I'll, I'll i'll probably try to stop myself from nerding out too much because i haven't actually encountered those right so i think i think some of the insights there is we've all seen all the typical event formulas right players have all seen them and, and they still work don't get me wrong they're, they're still extremely effective right but i think the innovation here is creating a different experiential moment and a moment of, of tension and anticipation in sort of a mini game on top of an event right we have a lot of free-to-play events especially in products like match three that they're just, they're, they're glorified progress trackers at the end of the day, right? Do thing, get thing. But splashing in some uncertainty, which also comes with this kind of, it's a long shot, but it comes with this idea of, again, the player getting to feel like they're clever, right? Like, do I pick the, do I, do I pick the right spot in the pickaxe thing where I, I start to optimally uncover the gem or you know, do I get this long shot where I have a three or five sequence and boom, on the first go, I get them all right. Like that, that allows me, and it's luck, right? But players assign themselves way more responsibility yeah. than, than, than is there, right? That's a UX thing. That's a human thing. And so it allows for not just this mini game, but this added kind of tension and, and this intrigue and the, the moment to feel like a hero, you know? Um, and I think that's wicked clever. Yeah, so here I have a, a screenshot of because um, I posted this to one of our game teams is something that we should emulate. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, the first row, I wasted six levels getting nothing. The next row, I only got one of them right. 
And then I had to do another five levels. This next one, I have to do another five levels um, and like continue on through. Um, so just to like, in each of these nodes, you know, they like increase the number that you get there. So by the time you're like going towards the big chest, it's like, I don't even know. I didn't get that far before the event ended. Um, so it's, it's very fascinating. I think the other things that um, they do that are super interesting uh, are tied into like social competition. Like we talked about the lightning rush ones a little bit, but what's cool with those like competitive one with like space mission and stuff like that is like, once you get into it, they actually will show you the other people when you're starting a level. And that makes you want to like add the boosters on and do the other things to like make sure that you boost, you know, win this level or whatnot. Um, yeah. And their UX around this is probably like the the biggest bolster of things that I've seen that are out there. Um, oh, and here's another thing we can kind of show and talk through like one little final thought. So I previously uh, replicated a week's worth of live ops events that I got um, in UserWise. Uh, and, so, you know, most teams have like a single series of things that are going on. Um, but they have a bunch of stuff that's like tied in simultaneously. So, you know, if I'm playing on Tuesday, I have lightning rush running for the whole day, I think, but then you only get like hour long periods, but pinata party was also going on and book of treasures and balloon rise and all these different things were keyed and tied in so that, you know, as you're going through those, you know, your balloon rise, your first level gets two and you get a rocket. You know, tiered up all the way to 40. And so it's like 40 levels that you're going through. Um, what they don't show you in here is that, like, this might be catered just to my. Not right. Somebody's complaining. Um, you know, US players or, you know, February Royal Match purchase players or whatnot. And, you know, players that are playing a ton, like maybe their balloon rush or balloon rise or whatever. Maybe they have like a target of 400 or something yeah. like that or yeah. more levels. So, like deeply customized, deeply personalized, like you could have hundreds and thousands of different versions of stuff. And that's, that's like the behind the scenes stuff that you don't often see happening, um, but that's really what's being driven um, to drive. And, you know, simultaneously, you also have messages that are popping up and, got, you know, special offers, you got the jungle treasure. Um, oh, here's a cool one. These like team gift offers. So team gifts is basically... Um, so here's the gold team offer where it, it's not that much different than like a standard offer where I've got like 25,000 coins. I've got a bunch of items and things. Now they like to do those like unlimited, uh, boosters and stuff rather than giving you just like booster numbers, because I encourage you to play more. Um, yeah. what they have in here is they have your team gets a one hour, you know, free hearts. So you buy this, you get all this stuff for yourself. I can only buy one, but I'm also going to be a hero to my yep. you know, plan because I, you know, give them a free item or whatnot. Um, and so, like, I actually have that spec out here, you know, cost $40. Here's all the stuff that I get as the player. Um, but then I have that team gift offers. And, you know, a good platform is going to be set up in such a way that, like, you know, the next time that I run this offer, maybe I want to try giving, you know, 1,500 coins to them uh, as the gift to my team or maybe different segments are going to be responding differently to like type of gift or the, you know, whatnot that you're doing. 
the number of guests, maybe I want to give them three this time or something for a Black Friday version of this, but you set it up once and then you could do some very interesting creative things to try to iterate and optimize it. Like, how do I actually get them to do those things? And Royal Match. No, 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 finish your thought. I was going to say, I, I think Royal Match does the best job of stacking these things with that deep segmentation and personalization of things, you know, all bringing those together. Yeah. And you can even imagine them, they probably already do it, right? But you can imagine them comboing that team gift with, you know, uh, unlimited lives uh, like they do, but you can also imagine it uh, giving, you know, unlimited, you know, dynamite or unlimited, you know, power-ups to, to specifically tie in while a big, significant, limited time team-based event is running, right? So it's, it's, hey, we've got a team event and we've only got five hours left or it's a short-term event. Like everyone, let's all, you know, bucket brigade and, and contribute. And so you get to be the hero, not just your team kind of in this uncontextualized way, but in a highly contextualized way where there's another layer of reward and progress where we double down on all playing together to get the wins, to, to, to get the, to be the top of the leaderboard at the end of this team event, right? So it's like, I think it, it's an abstract concept, but when I think about some of the theme of this episode, it's, it's layering, right? Layering and stacking and staggering. And how does one thing flow into the next, into the next, into the next, right? How do you keep driving people back uh, into the loop with the rewards, um, but also for the rewards? And so it's, yeah, it is a masterclass to be studied thoroughly. I love it. Well, cool. All right. So we'll be back uh, with part two, where we're going to dive a little bit deeper, I think, into some of the, I would say more of the, the core essential stuff that like makes this a good game. So like we, we maybe skipped ahead and spent this episode just going into like the, the masterclass on layering, which is how you take something that's good and turn it into just like an insane, you know, yep. my game that's probably like best in class. Yeah. Cool. All right. Awesome. Thanks, y'all.